According to the Wall Street Journal, the Boy Scouts of America are considering filing for bankruptcy. Meanwhile, the Girl Scouts are planning to buy a house in the Hamptons with all that cookie money. <laughs> there you go. Uh, how you doing? We're, we're hoping to have a reporter on. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. On this new going to space in a plane with uh, Branson, Richard Branson, Virgin Airlines. You've been following this? You've seen this? You know about this? He uh, he flies a plane up, then like the wings fold in or something, turns into a rocket, and you go up into uh, where it's black, full-on into space. And it'll cost $250,000 to do a ride. I'm out. Yeah, well, so is practically everybody on Earth. But like, <laughs> Is it time for me to start another GoFundMe page? <laughs> like most things, they would expect the price you know, to come down dramatically. It'd have to come down pretty damn dramatically. Has he done this yet? Ha, ha, ha. Uh, but the company's tourism spaceship hit a new target on Thursday for the first time soaring more than 50 miles among above California's Mojave Desert. Spaceship 2, welcome so are you to just space. getting into, like, I'm not sure if I'm hitting the technical terms, right? Just the stratosphere without technically going into space? I'm, I'm, hmm. I bet the view's fantastic. Well, you get it into the black part, which is pretty spacey. And... and the view is supposed to be spectacular. You do get the weightlessness, too, which is a big okay. part of what people want out of yeah, going yeah. space. You get a few minutes of weightlessness. A few minutes Are you still strapped in, though? $250,000. After a few minutes of weightlessness, it's back in the seats for the flight back to Earth. Okay, uh, so you get to jump out of your seat and float around a little bit? I think so. That could be cool. Until somebody hits their head and sues. I could probably get a lot of retweets out of that. He actually is hoping, one, that it will become a moneymaker, I suppose, but two, that it will, when people see Earth from that perspective, that will uh, increase people's uh, concern for climate change and caring about the Earth just in general. I don't think that will happen. But, there uh, you are never know. You never know. almost universal tales from astronauts, the, the select few who have actually seen that view in person, who say it's a it's a literally and figuratively a perspective changer i suppose that's to, possible to view your planet from the outside i suppose that's possible you could get a a we're all in this together sort of feel yeah 250k there aren't that many people gonna be uh if you if you pay the 250k you're likely to be going up with a celebrity you'll be sitting with oprah winfrey and tom cruise and Oh, somebody needs to bankroll for me for this. Whoever else can afford that? A couple of things. So we just did this uh, interview with uh, Devlin Baird of the Washington Post about the Mueller report. I just wanted to throw this in. The former FEC commissioner, he was the commissioner of the Federal Election Committee. His name is Hans von Spakovsky, which is the coolest name ever. <laughs> but anyway, he, uh, he's he been doing the rounds, making interviews. He was the commissioner of the FEC, and he says this Trump, campaign finance there were no laws broken here paying these women whether he paid them out of his own pocket or his campaign it's just not a problem he was the commissioner why are more people not paying attention to him you'd think he would know but that's uh worth pointing out and again i want to say his name hans von spakovsky what a freaking fantastic name how'd i get stuck with my name it's just embarrassing compared to that uh serious story the last, it would seem, report is out on the horrifying uh, school shooting down there in Florida. The one that was the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where all those kids died. Turns out, in the final report, eight sheriff's deputies got there to the school, heard gunshots, and stayed outside when they could have gone in. Eight. Eight. 
We need to decide as a country what we think about that. Remember at the time we thought it was that one guy, and boy, a, a, a heap and help and a hate got pushed on that guy when his name came out, and um, he retired right away. But we talked to some law enforcement people uh, around here, a guy I know. On the right, there are principals. Oh, that's me, sorry. I'm starting to hear voices. Uh, a guy I know who, who used to be a cop who said, you don't have to go in. The, the courts have ruled on that. You do not have to put your life in danger. And he said personally, he said when he was a young guy, he would have gone in. He said older guy, wife and kids, a lot more to lose. He might not have gone in. It's a tough decision. Boy, we got to figure out what we want, what we expect out of law enforcement. I think we've got, I think we need to have the expectation that if the cops show up and there's a school shooter killing innocent kids inside that school, we got to go in and try to stop that. I think that's got to be part of your job. I don't know how the courts would work that out, but I think that's an expectation most of us had before this story ever happened, isn't it? So eight sheriff's deputies showed up, were listening to shots, and thought, I'm going to wait. Man, that's gruesome. With every gunshot being perhaps another dead high school student. That's rough. I don't know how you deal with that. Um, but I, I, you know, I'd like to see it, see it discussed on what our expectations are. Finally, the caravan in um, Mexico, in the Tijuana area, has been around for weeks now. Five, six, seven thousand people, depending on who you talk to, that are still hanging around. And they've got them in different kinds of uh, camps or venues. They are, in effect, homeless people. So it's a, it's a chance to look at a couple of issues. Um, uh, illegal immigrants in your midst and, and homeless people in your midst. And I saw a bunch of interviews yesterday on Fox News, because they're the only ones covering this, of people in the Tijuana area who are pretty unhappy with having all this, all these homeless illegal immigrants hanging around their city. They closed the nearby school where one of the big encampments is because they're just scared of having a bunch of randos milling around near their school. You see, you're not just a racist or the hater. Uh, you hate the homeless for some crazy reason. If there are a bunch of people you don't know who they are just hanging around outside of school with no known means of support, with no, with no tie into the social fabric, you don't know their name, they don't have a job, they don't have an address, there'd be no way to deal with them if anything happened, you don't like them hanging around the school. So they've actually closed the school on that side of Tijuana where they've got all those people. They've got a big problem with break-ins. People are getting uh, really fed up with their homes being broken into. I've known lots of towns in the U.S., where illegal immigration started to become a thing, and all of a sudden you have crime, where you had almost zero crime years before. Are you a racist if that bothers you? And certainly in Tijuana they can't be because it's Hispanics uh, unhappy with Hispanics. Saw one interview with a guy saying it's really hurting business. All these people milling around. A lot of shoppers don't want to go to businesses where there are homeless illegals milling around in the streets in front of the shop. Yeah. That happens in the United States, too. But if you say it out loud, you're considered a hater or a bigot or a racist for saying, you know, a lot of customers don't come into my store and they buy online because they got to walk through a bunch of randos that are hanging around having that problem in Tijuana, too. So it turns out it's human nature, most of this stuff, and not hate, white privilege, racism, fear of losing my power or any of those things. Same thing is going on in Tijuana, same attitudes. I hope that informs the discussion for years to come. It probably won't. But I hope that it does. Going to check in on the Oscar flap. I don't care about the Oscars or who, who hosts it. 
But uh, they're having a little trouble figuring it out since Kevin Hart got in trouble and stepped back. And Jerry Seinfeld has weighed in on the whole Kevin Hart thing, which I find entertaining. That, among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the the nation. She's not playing All right, what's going on? Everything's completely falling apart. It's a Friday morning. Everybody's half drunk. Let's get our acts together, people. Half drunk. (laughs) Who's falling behind? Here we go. At Mark. It can happen. I know it can happen. Seriously, sometimes I don't get the Oscars. It's like, why does America celebrate the best movies with the worst TV show? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, if you ask me, they should use this opportunity to revamp the entire show. Yeah, don't have a host. In fact, don't even have a presenter for the awards, right? The people in each category should have to announce who gets their award. Then we really get to see best actor, yeah. We're going to have to give it to someone else. The winner is, oh, hell, yay. <laughs> I like that. Why do we honor the best movies with the worst TV show? That's uh, Trevor Noah from The Daily Show. That show still exists. But so Kevin Hart, very, very funny comedian, was going to be the host of the Oscars. I thought, oh, that's cool. That might make me watch for a little bit. His monologue will be good. probably be pretty good. So uh, they found some old tweets of hers. Uh, his, Kevin Hart's a he. They found some old tweets of Kevin Hart's where he made, um, certainly for the modern times, uncool Jokes about homosexuality. They only went back like a few years, didn't they? I think it was like 2011, something like that, yeah. Anyway, you know, on a lot of this stuff, it's changed pretty fast on what's acceptable and what's not. And uh, so the Kevin Hart was in a little bit of hot water, and he said, nah, I ain't going to do it. Uh, he doesn't need the money, certainly. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld weighs in on this. I'd kind of like to hear this. What's this? Kevin is in a position, because he's a brilliant comedian, to kind of decide what he wants to do. He doesn't have to step down, but he can. And when you look at that situation, well, who got screwed in that deal? I think Kevin's going to be fine. But how many, find another Kevin Hart. That's not so easy. He's a brilliant guy with a movie career, you know. But uh, most of the time, comedians, we are expected to be the most agile in terms of how we think and construct our thoughts and what comes out of our mouth. We have been navigating these slalom gates forever. (laughs) When I started out, you know, there were dirty comedians. Well, if you want to get on The Tonight Show, or if you want to get on TV, you can't use any of those words. And a lot of us went, okay, I still want to play. I'll play. Oh, here's a new rule. We're cutting this out. Okay, I'll get around that. So that's our thing. It's like uh, Lindsey Vaughn. Wherever you put the gates, (laughs) I'm going to make them. That's interesting. Jerry Seinfeld, like a lot of comedians like Bill Cosby, decided, maybe he's a bad example, many years ago <laughs> Usually is now. to go with uh, to go clean and see how far you can go with that. And that works. Ellen DeGeneres is another good example. The long interview in the New York Times over the weekend with her, which I thought was good. She's got a new stand-up special coming out. First time she's done stand-up in a really long time. She's one of my favorite stand-up comedians, Ellen DeGeneres. Her, some of her early stand-up stuff is as funny as you'll ever see. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. Flippin' fantastic. Have you ever... Well, you, you brought this to me. So when she was on Seinfeld's show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, she tells the story of how she came up with one of her routines. She thought of it. 
And she thought, wow, this is really good. This was early on. This is like before she was anything. She came up with this idea of her talking to God on the phone. And uh, she said, "I'm gonna. This is. I'm gonna start doing this. This is gonna be a big hit. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be the I'll get on the Tonight Show, and I'm gonna be the first woman called over to sit next to Johnny Carson. That's how good this is." She thought that before she'd ever become anything at all, and that's exactly what happened with that routine. How crazy is that? Anyway, she's got a new special coming out, in which she goes edgier and is gonna use bad language for the first time ever. Ellen DeGeneres. Ooh. Yeah, she kind of wants to, somewhat at the urging of her. Um, Wife, Portia de Rossi. Nice pull, by the way, Ellen. Nice pull. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, pulled her away from heterosexuality, for one thing. Portia de Rossi, wasn't she with, uh, with dudes before? Actually pulled her over onto her team. And hot. Um, Portia thinks Ellen's much more uh, complicated and interesting than the, than the person she shows on her daily show. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and, and wants her to show that on stand-up and... And so Ellen's going to uh, drop an F-bomb or something. <laughs> I don't know how. It's going to be hard to see. Um, but so she's got a new special coming out. She's trying to decide whether to quit her daytime show, which we brought you the news last week. She makes $85 million a year on that daytime talk show, Ellen DeGeneres. People talk about who's going to get the Tonight Show and Jimmy Kimmel moving ahead in the ratings of Jimmy Fan. Those people don't make even close to that kind of money. Not even half. Nowhere in the ballpark I don't of what Ellen DeGeneres makes if you're going to talk talk show hosts. I don't understand contracts that are like, yeah, you'll make $85 million a year for the next five years. After one year, you're not seeing me again. Yeah, I got $85 I know, I know. Mil in the bank. I, know, I, know. I don't get that either. <laughs> I don't get that either. Um, I mean, 40 mil after taxes, but still, that's plenty. The vast majority of us, I don't know, you must really like the word. I mean, if you're even slightly not enjoying it anymore, how do you show up? Right. <laughs> If it is not, without a doubt, the most enjoyable part of your day, and you have multiple commas in your bank account, what are you doing? The first day I don't want to do it, I'm not there. The first day I think, you know what, it's a nice day, I'd rather go to the beach. I'm done with that kind of money. But they keep doing it, it must be what they really enjoy. (laughs) She must really like dancing to music with audience members or something. I watched an old Kevin Hart, an older one on Netflix recently. With uh, It was fantastic. He's flipping around hilarious. You've ever seen his stuff about how he fights or how he used to fight? He's a little guy. And he always tried to stay out of fights by bluffing. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. And it's clean also. Really, really good. His stuff about his 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 family gatherings growing up and his his uncle trying to toughen him up. Say it with your chest, son. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that's great. God, he's good. <laughs> uh have you ever heard of Hive? I don't use Hive. Hanson, do you use Hive? You're a, yeah, apparently it's a thing. Um Thousands of companies use it. It's an all-in-one project management tool. I don't know how many people use it. It would appear from this list that it tends to be a kind of a younger, hipper crowd that does use it across the country. But they released their most disruptive events of 2018 because they have the ability on Hive to actually see when people stop working during the day because people who are using Hive, all of their uh, their works and sending around PowerPoints to everybody and all the different stuff, it's through Hive. So when it shuts down for something, they can figure out what's hot. So re- as the data flow slows down through their pipes, they equate yeah. that with a, a work slowage. And so they've got, as some of the most disruptive events, productivity was down 19% the day that Mark Zuckerberg did his uh, hearings there in front of Congress. 
probably got a lot of movers, shakers in the whole tech world using Hive. So they were paying attention to that. When I give you the number one, you'll 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 question the audience. So that was, okay, so that was nineteen percent. Yeah, slow down. Okay, thirty-two uh, percent productivity shut down right at the moment that Bill Cosby was sentenced for some reason. Thirty-one percent the day of um, Doctor Ford's testimony in the Brett Kav- Brett Kavanaugh hearings. I would have thought that was going to be number one. That would have been my guess. Yeah, well, when you get to number one, I think you'll realize this is kind of a younger crowd using okay. Hive. But overall, I think <laughs> it's here... Ariana Grande splitting with Pete <laughs> Davidson. <laughs> it's similar. <laughs> um, overall, if I was going to just guess productivity dropping at any moment, I think Ford's testimony at the Kavanaugh hearings was the number one of the past year by far. That was certainly the thing that cut through the most barriers in my life in terms of bleeding through into other aspects of of common everyday conversation, people that I don't normally talk about politics with bringing it up. Sure, because you had, obviously you had the politics, you had the Trump part of it, Mm -hmm. and then you had sex thrown in there, so it kind of reached everybody. That was a huge one. That had to be the single moment news story of the year, didn't it? Pretty easily. Um, they have number one something with Kanye when Kanye did his thing. Oh, uh, with TMZ with uh, with Trump. Oh, with, okay, that's fair. That was pretty good, but I don't. You know, I don't think for the whole country. But they have fifty five percent. Um. Productivity was down 55% when Kanye started going nutso at the, the Trump thing. Donald sat there and listened to him. That mm-hmm. one has the benefit mm-hmm. of being hilarious. That's so when true. You, when you share that with your friends, you're like, oh, dude, you got, dude, Kanye's losing his mind. That was quite something. You don't need to take a, you didn't need to take a side on that one politically. It was just, yeah, it was just funny. The Weekly Standard, are you familiar with that? We've had a lot of guests from the Weekly Standard on over the years. It was a conservative magazine back in the day, then became mostly a website since nobody actually gets magazines anymore. But I liked I liked some of the stuff the Weekly Standard did. I didn't always like the stuff they did. I really, really like Stephen Hayes, who was their editor-in-chief and uh, used to be on Brett Bear's show on Fox a lot. Um, but they're going out of business. And some people think it's because they, they, they went anti-Trump. They went anti-Trump early. Bill Kristol is uh, the founder of the Weekly Standard. He was a never-Trumper from the beginning. A lot of covers and articles dedicated to keeping Trump from being the nominee then from being president and then criticizing him since. And now they're going out of business. They never wavered from their anti-Trump stance as a conservative magazine. And now they're out of business, which I'm sure Trump will uh, take great joy in. It's a dangerous thing to do. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, it turns out FBI text messages from the Mueller investigation have been lost. France really on edge after the terror shooting and more planned demonstrations. And we do have an update about the heart on the plane. Good. So they they, they killed the terrorist, right, yesterday in yep. France? Yep. They caught the guy and killed him. But, yeah, they still got the rioting over the, the gas Indeed. tax. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. This time I walked past the banana bread with frosting on it. 
that somebody made. I'm sure it's the healthy kind of frosting. And went and got my sunflower seeds. Because I've gotten so lazy and undisciplined, I just eat whatever freaking cookies within arm's reach. (laughs) Congratulations on picking up some bird food. (laughs) Yeah. Instead of eating my banana, oh, there's donuts here somebody brought? Well, let me eat three of those. That banana bread is really good. I've lost all discipline. Yes. 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 I got away myself tomorrow. The number I saw this morning was shocking. There must have been something wrong with the scale. The kids <laughs> sure. must have been playing with it. Right. That's got to be it. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, yet another wrinkle. It turns out investigators were not able to find a number of text messages between fired FBI uh, agent Peter Strzok and former bureau lawyer Lisa Page from their time on special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. I want to hear about this because this... For some reason, I don't feel like anybody's followed up on this. How these texts have come out and when they've come out. Who was holding these back? Who released them and why? Why did some of them get released and then some more damaging ones were held back? Who's making that decision? Anyway, there's a bunch of them uh, they can't find because by the time their phones were recovered, they'd been reset for other use. Oh, really? That's according to the Washington Times. That's what an inspector general says in a new report. One that goes on to say the FBI still is not reliably collecting text messages for all of its employees, despite the black eye the Bureau has suffered from the pair's behavior. On their own company phones? Samsung Galaxy Galaxy S7 devices. Yes. Used used by the company. Should the company keep track of all your texts on your company phone? I don't know. I don't know if they should. The new information. They certainly can, but I don't know if they should. New information in a report uh, the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz released to detail the effort his team made to try to recover all the texts between the two who had traded anti Trump mes- messages during the course of their adulterous affair that they were having. Investigators already released many of the controversial messages, including one in which uh, Mr. Strzok promises they would stop. Trump from winning the White House. Of course, that was one, again, that came in out late. For some reason, we had some of the other ones, and then that one got yep. dropped late. Yep. Now, they're, the, the rest of them are missing somehow. Yep, there's a gap in the text messages, the new report detailing, again, the efforts that the Inspector General tried to recover to hmm. recover them. So We'll never see them, I suppose. Nope. Gone into the ether. Christmas market shooter in Strasburg is dead. Police say they killed a 29-year-old on a Strasburg street. After he opened fire on them, he's thought to become radicalized during one of his many prison stays. Glad he's dead. Back to the uh, texting. Do, yes. Does somebody keep track of all of the texts? I mean, are all our texts somewhere? John? Do you know? In the cloud? You know, Mike? Hanson? Are all our texts somewhere? AT&T, Verizon? It, it seems like somebody's got them, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the. The only reason I'm hesitant, there isn't like infinite storage space on that, but I, I don't know. They can probably zip it down into some sort of thing, and maybe they just don't keep the ones from 10 years ago, but they have all the ones in the last five years. I don't know. I don't know either. Meanwhile, the French President Macron... If, if AT&T wants to take a look at my nutscaping, they can go ahead. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Macron is urging calm and order ahead of the new yellow vest protests that are planned again for this weekend. They, uh... Anti-government demonstrators known as the Yellow Vests are planning to be out in the street again in the thousands. These protests sparked by, of course, the higher fuel taxes that were meant 
to be carbon taxes to get people to cut down on driving. But he backed off. The government backed off that tax. He so backed, why are the protests continuing? He backed off, but apparently it sparked anger that is just not going away. Yeah, that's the problem is you've got a certain percentage yeah. in every country. We see this in the United States also that just like to smash stuff. Yep. Oh, it's smashing stuff season. You can get away with it now. Let's go smash the windows of the local Starbucks, for instance. Resolutions passed by the Senate in a rebuke of President Trump's response to the death of that Saudi journalist turns out are really largely symbolic because it's not clear if they'll ever be considered by the House. The resolutions passed by the Senate recommend the U.S. end its aid to Saudi Arabia for the war in Yemen. On the floor, Senator Bernie Sanders was arguing, yes, we must support this. We are not going to be a party to seeing millions of people starve to death in a war led by a despotic Saudi Arabian regime. Wow, that's tough language for MBS. Yep. Now, they've always been a despotic regime. They have been for... Why is it doing that again? Sorry. The Saudi Arabian uh, government, or however you want to refer <laughs> right, to them, right. um, they've, they've, they've always been authoritarian. I mean, since going back to FDR... Why all of a sudden now we have a problem with this guy, MBS? He did launch the war in Yemen. Um, he killed Khashoggi but, Khashoggi, but I don't know. I'm still lost on this story. want to give you an update that Jack was talking about earlier. A human heart that was left on a plane is safely at a donation lab in Seattle. Somebody left it in the overhead compartment. Yeah, a courier service was supposed to Check pick your up- seat backs. It's really easy to forget something in there. A courier service was supposed to pick up the heart from a Southwest Airlines flight from Sacramento when it landed in Seattle last Sunday, but it missed the 45-minute window before the plane's next scheduled flight to Dallas. So it landed, they missed the uh, window, and it plane took off again. Was it like in a sandwich bag or something? Or? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Anyway, the pilot was notified about an hour into the flight and turned back to uh, SeaTac International. The heart is safe. And has been returned. God dang it. All right, hey, speaking of the heart. I don't know what, why that gave me chest weird feelings oh, in my chest. Well, just talking about it. Leading, that leads into my last story. A new study says Christmas is the greatest time of the year for a heart attack. Oh, great. The greatest? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, this is a happy kicker, Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> the study says a person's risk for a heart attack spikes during the holidays and peaks around 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve. This report out of Sweden found the risk of a heart attack shot up by almost 40% on Christmas Eve. Oh. They're saying it could stress be... Stress or drinking? Well, they're saying emotional distress, anger, anxiety, sadness, grief, and stress coupled with excessive food intake, alcohol, and long-distance travel. So they say it all adds up and can hit you on Christmas Eve. I don't want Christmas to be stressful because it should be uh, just fun and family and giving and love yep. and all that sort of stuff. But... For a variety of reasons, me, like a lot of people, we're, we're behind on having gifts ready for the kids. And if you're doing any traveling, you got all that. It's it's hard for that to not be stressful. And then at the end of getting all the gifts, there is the assemblage involved, right? Well, and there's also the expense of all the things well, that you're true. doing, the travel and the buying, and right. that, that adds up in that credit card bill. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Let's ring the bell. And we do this to ourselves, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. We do this to ourselves. We make ourselves fat, spend more money than we want to, I'd like and a, then stress ourselves out. I had like a 30-minute conversation uh, the other day with somebody who was trying to convince me to get some sort of tree to put in my apartment, and I could not for the... Why would I do that? Yeah. So you so you get happy when you see it and you come up. The only thing I think of, uh, that's a chore in two weeks that I have to do. 
I need to take exactly. those lights down and put yeah. the tree away in two weeks is right. the only thing I think of. When I lived alone, I never had a tree. Never once. Yeah. I know most girls do. Women do. Girlfriends I had did. Does that seem to be the case, Sean? Women more likely to have a tree yeah. living alone? Yeah. Or, or bring up the subject and, and <laughs> suggest it to people. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> I have a dandy Trader Joe's $9 wreath on my front door, and there you that's go. it. I never even, when I was living alone, and I, I did yeah. for, for many years, I never even contemplated having a tree. I mean, it never even became a should I or shouldn't I. No, never on the radar. I, I actually had not thought about it until it was brought up in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to other people's houses yeah. and look at their trees. Sure. Soon we're going to be able to go into space. That sounds pretty cool. We're going to talk about marijuana next hour for all you dope fiends. Among other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Let me run with you tonight. I'll take you. We were talking a little bit earlier about this ability to go into space soon as a, um, you know, as just a regular citizen. Thanks to, uh, who's the guy with the long blonde hair? Richard Branson. Richard Branson, increasingly long gray hair. And Uh, shirt never buttoned up more than three buttons. He does like to show his chest. (laughs) But he's going to allow you to pay $250,000, it looks like, to fly into space. Well, who better to talk to about this than Christian Davenport? the Washington Post space industry reporter, and his book, The Space Barons, which he wrote, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and the quest to colonize the cosmos. I love that story. Christian, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, thanks for having me. It is just absolutely going to happen, and I'm excited about it, that us regular people are going to be able to go into space soon, right? Well, they certainly got a step closer to that. Uh, Just yesterday, you know, Virgin Galactic has been on this quest to, uh, you know, fly to space to actually reach uh, space, which is defined here as, as 50 miles. There's some debate over, you know, where space begins. Um, but they did it yesterday, and it was the first launch to space from United States soil since the space shuttle was retired in 2011. So that was a big day, and it does give the company some confidence going forward that they're actually going to be able to pull this off, taking actual, you know, civilians, uh, you know, out of the atmosphere. Well, some people I know are, like Elon Musk, you know, he he's, these are various baby steps in towards, towards trying to go to Mars. Um, are there some people, maybe this is the case here with... Um, Branson, where it's just seems like a good business venture, where you go up there and fly around and people enjoy it and make a lot of money. Is that what's going on here, or does he have bigger ambitions? Well, he has, and that's the sort of plan in the short term, but he does have bigger ambitions. I mean, Virgin Galactic has already got nearly 700 people who have signed up, you know, to go on these uh, suborbital rides that go up and then, you know, come straight back down, you know, and they're willing to, to pay $250,000. That's a, a lot of money. what? It's a lot of money, and um, and they think actually the price may go up uh, at some point before it comes down if they're able to do this, you know, successfully and, and reliably because of demand. Show if there's a yeah, and they they think there is particularly if the price comes down. What they eventually want to do is move from where they are now in Mojave, 
California, just north of L.A. That's where they do their testing. They're going to move to uh, New Mexico to a, a place called Spaceport America, and that's where they're going to run their commercial operations and fly their first tourists to space. But what they want to do, and they're already building two more of these uh, spaceships, these space planes, um, you know, anticipating this demand, and they want to open up more of these spaceports, not just in the U.S., but across the, the world in different countries. I get it. Spaceports. Yeah, so you leave from New Mexico and fly to the spaceport in, say, Italy, and, you know, you kind of go out of the atmosphere and then come back in. So instead of coming up and right back down and landing where you took off from, you land, you know, on a different continent and get there, you know, exceedingly fast. Oh, cool. So how long would the trip be? I pay my $250,000, you strap me in. How long am I actually flying around? So what happens is because you're, you're, the spacecraft is tethered to the belly of a mothership. It's a twin fuselage airplane. It's a really big airplane. The airplane takes you up to 45,000 feet or so. It gets to that cruising altitude, and it can take some time. You know, they want to do the checks, make sure everything's okay. So yesterday, for example, it took about 45 minutes before they then dropped the spacecraft. You know, within three seconds, the pilots light the motor and, you know, I think within 10 seconds, you're flying already faster than the speed of sound. They point that thing going straight up, uh, burn the engine for about 60 seconds. The engine shuts off, and then you coast up to space in about another 20 minutes. You know, it hits apogee, the high altitude. you got about four or five minutes of weightlessness. You know, the idea is then that the passengers would be able to unbuckle, float around the cabin, look out the window, do their, you know, somersaults in a near weightless environment, and then you fly back down. So all told... $250,000, and your ride lasts about an hour and a half or so. Is a meal included, or yeah, is that extra? And Wi-Fi also. <laughs> yeah, right. I think, you know, given the you know, zero-G, if you've never been, experienced that before, gone through extensive astronaut training, maybe you don't want to uh, have too much to eat. <laughs> so uh, is it space or not? People are arguing over that. To me, it's got to be black outside, and i got to be able to float. Do I get both of those things? I think you got both those things, and you saw from the videos that uh, Virgin Galactic was putting out. You saw, you know, and even though it was uh, daytime, the sky was was dark. You could see the thin line of the atmosphere, the curvature of the Earth. Uh, they would have been in a weightless environment. Uh, the pilots are going to get uh, commercial astronaut wings from the Federal Aviation uh, Administration, and you know, the Air Force and NASA in the past have uh, awarded astronaut wings to pilots who've made it 50 miles or or higher. So, I mean, that said, there are some who argue that actually space doesn't begin until 12 miles higher than that at 62 miles or 100 kilometers. But I think at this point, most people are accepting. Uh, Let me guess, miles. those people have been that high so they can say you haven't been to space because I've been 62 right. miles up. Um, right. uh, did you say how many people would be on each flight? So you'd have two pilots and then uh, as many as six passengers. So it'd be um, me and Tom yep. Cruise and Oprah and other rich people. They have $250,000 to spend. (laughs) (laughs) To fly up there and back. That's pretty darn cool. Um, How soon will this happen? Well, there, you know, so this was the first test uh, flight that made it to that altitude. They want to do that a few more times. And uh, they're looking at next year. Next year. Uh, Wow. Next year, going up at Spaceward America. Richard Branson had said he wants to be on the first commercial. Uh, flight. So, you know, these things always take a little longer than anticipated. Uh, you know, at the beginning, Richard was saying this was going to happen within a few years, and that was in, you know, 2004, and now <laughs> it's uh, 
quite a lot longer. So we'll see. I mean, but that's what they're shooting for, 2019. I don't know if you have any humble brag traveler friends that have been all over the world and it's, you know, constant one-upping each other there at the restaurant dinner table of who's been where. Well, now it's going to be, oh, you haven't been to space? Oh, you've got to. It's just fantastic, you know, because you've been there and they haven't. I think that's going to be the thing. Yeah, and now you've got, you know, Jeff Bezos trying to do a similar thing with his company, Blue Origin, which instead of it being a space plane, it's on a rocket that would go to, uh, you know, 100 kilometers and kind of the same same concept where you float around the cabin. 100 kilometers, that's 60 miles. You're going higher than the other people. Even higher, that's right. Awesome. Christian Davenport, I might actually read your book. That's interesting stuff. The Space Barons, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and the quest to colonize the cosmos. Thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That will be the next brag, because everybody's been to Nepal and Bali now. I haven't been to any of those places, and I'm not going to go. But among the traveling crowd that brags about where they've been, soon it's going to be, you gotta, you gotta, you got you have to have been to space. Oh, you haven't been to space yet? Oh, my gosh. I would love to do this, but I'm not going on the first flight. For uh, beyond financial restrictions, but I got to see somebody else come back first. I I, I want to see this done. I wonder how safe it's got to be to have a regular flow of people willing to do it. If you if you had if one out of a hundred people die, is that way too uh, low a tolerance, high a tolerance um, for people or not? Because we expect complete safety out of air travel. If it, that's strange. Like so, if it's a hundred person per trip, one person dies every time. <laughs> I don't know if people would sign up for that. I, I don't know either. I don't know, either, but that, that'd be pretty damn safe, 99%. Yeah. That's pretty damn safe. I don't know if I'd sign up for that either, especially for 250 k Man, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.